Hello, so we are back, baby! Well, I say we, it's, it's not the collective we anymore. It's basically me, plus a very good friend. I am, of course, your glorious host, your comic books Jesus. <laughs> and here is my, I don't know, what do you want to be? Peter Maroc, Judas, a doubting Thomas, maybe Mary I'll be, Magdalene. Uh, I'll be your Nightwing, how's that? Yes! <laughs> the Nightwing to my Jesus. Okay, of course, that glorious voice was Tim. Tim, how are you What's doing? Like? I'm doing great, Matt. It's great to be back. Great to talk to you. Very excited to talk. It's been a while and there's lots of uh, comic and uh, nerd adjacent news to discuss. So much. So much. I'm glad we had the break because now I'm not having a mental breakdown trying to manage 10 people. (laughs) (laughs) I think either I was going to strangle somebody or or just dissolve into the ether. But um, look, we, uh, we, we swung for the fences and we ended up just packing the bases. But I think what we did was still good. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy. We're going to have some of the guests back on, um, some familiar voices in the upcoming weeks. But for my sanity, we're going to keep it, um, we're going to keep it to as few people as possible so I can have a life and sleep. <laughs> yeah. So, um, we are still out there on all the, all the former platforms. We are on Spotify. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on SoundCloud. We are on Google Podcasts. We also have a Twitter account, an Instagram, and a YouTube. And that's at usually, pod, I think, the end underscore pod. You can find me on most platforms as Marvel Spank. And Tim, when, where can they find you? You can find me mostly on Twitter, but all platforms at TM Bagshaw. I use my name because uh, I am a, I'm a glutton for abuse. <laughs> I don't know how being called the sexiest man in the whole of Jamaica is abuse, but I suppose it's like a, it's like a sexy lady, isn't it? Like you think that you're the only person that's had the courage to ever tell her that you'd want to fuck her. <laughs> when in truth, you're the 131st and that shit gets tied real easy. I can tell you as a sexy lady myself. <laughs> I say that purely because I want to enter the weightlifting at the next Olympics. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> Because I mean, I mean, who qualifies that? Like, <laughs> anyway, that's a bit off topic. So, Tim, comic books, comic book movies, they've been coming under fire a little bit again, haven't they? I mean, we had the whole Francis Ford Coppola Scorsese. They were laying it on thick about a year ago. Yep. But recently, we have had Stephen Dorff. Dorff, yep. Dorff, who is, of Dorf. course, from... Blade. The original Blade, yeah. yeah. Other um, things. Not much, honestly, recently that I know of. But I know <laughs> not a lot. Blade, which is kind of, I have to say, a bit of a bold take from someone who doesn't seem to really work anymore. Yeah, um, and his most notorious piece of um, yeah. content was actually being the bad guy in Blade. And he was a good bad guy in Blade, but now he's, yeah. just, a, he's just a bad guy. Yeah, so this is an interesting one because for those of you who don't know what he said, basically he did an interview and I'm not sure what publication he was doing an interview but with. He uh, was taking a crack at specifically Black Widow. That MCU movies are basically one note. He would much rather work with an auteur director than with some <laughs> big budget 
kind of, you know, cookie cutter franchise and taking a particular shot at Black Widow, which mm. struck me as kind of interesting because Black Widow, to me, is among the more subtle of the MCU movies. <laughs> Definitely. So, um, so to, for, to take a shot at that one in particular, it struck me as kind of tone deaf. You know, is he right about big budget Marvel mm. style Mm. Uh, movies, MCU in particular, but you can make it, you could talk about really any tentpole franchise. Is he mm. really taking a subtle shot? So that's one thing. What What are the merits of the argument as regards the movies? And the second issue would be, is he really taking a subtle shot at comics? He actually went personal on Scarlett Johansson, and we'll pick this up later on, but I was a lot more sympathetic to her when this actually broke. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Oh, by the way, spoilers for everything that we're talking about. <laughs> If you don't hear spoilers, don't listen to it at all. Okay, yeah. so, but he said he would be embarrassed to be Scarlett Johansson. He would be embarrassed to be a part of these films. That's not just like denying their plausibility as yeah. credible media. That's like sort of marrying your cousin. Like, like, that's like being, that's like being a very small man who hasn't worked in years, marrying his cousin and then saying he wouldn't fuck an <laughs> Instagram uh, influencer because she's fake. <laughs> right. I, I absolutely think you're right. And I, I'd like to add into it as well. Uh, but Dean Kane, who of course was in... Lois uh, and Clark, was that what it's called? Yeah, it was yeah, all yeah. yeah. Yeah, Terry Hatcher. God, I used to love her. Like she yeah. was... Yeah, that was my mind porn as like a young adolescent. Like she was, totally. she was the one. Yeah, yeah. Although you know, so... it turns out she's a real asshole too. Um, she did <laughs> Desperate Housewives, and apparently it was oh, like really? a nightmare. Yeah, really. It's yeah. funny how these things come out afterwards, isn't it? But I, I suppose know. it's like you don't you don't kill the the goose that lays the golden egg, right? At the time. And plus, I hated going to work, and my boss was always a dick. So you know, like. Pfft just deal with it there's always an arsehole like, in the yeah. office like you're not immune to it like you don't, you have the best job anyway you don't get to have the best working conditions as well that's just called going to work and not liking everyone <laughs> and those guys get their comeuppance <laughs> eventually yeah. yeah so he basically attacked uh christopher campwell's united states of captain america which was um, how Captain America, it's a limited series, where it was um, traveling through America, finding out how different groups had adopted the persona of Captain America to hate their neighborhoods. There was like a hobo Captain America. There was a LGBTQ plus, mm. whatever, not being like bad about what it stands for. I'm just saying the letters get added to quite frequently. <laughs> I like that it's just been taken up by a plus now. <laughs> All encompassing. <laughs> Yeah, and Dean Cain said it's just too woke. Comics are too woke. It's not my Captain America. So it's kind of funny how life is imitating art because uh, Tennessee uh, Coates did a whole Captain America run about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You told and the thing that he, I remember reading that the thing he actually objected to was the. I think it was the opening line to the book where it says the the something to the effect of the American dream has not worked for everyone, or mm. something like that. And that was to him a bridge too far. And then in his yeah, explanation, yeah. then said, America's not perfect, but it's like, well, dude, you've just, you've just admitted yeah, yeah, the yeah, very yeah, argument yeah. of the book. Even Princeton can make a mistake, I guess. So how, how do you feel about this? Do you think that it's just a case of when something becomes even beyond the Zeke guys? Do you think these are people with sour grapes? Or do you, do you think that maybe we're a little bit protective of it because we love it so much? Yeah, boy. I think actually, to take all those, I think it's probably all of that. I do mm. think there's a bit of a sensitivity among like the nerd community. The valence could go either way. Of course, we you hear about yeah, yeah. like the people who are uh, pissed about like 
some of the Star Wars movies because they're too woke, right? There's a certain type of like conservative valenced protectiveness on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then for me, it's sort of like, yeah, I do kind of bristle at any criticism of a medium, you know, mm. especially if it's a medium that I love. And so maybe mm. there's a bit of an oversensitivity from from the community and for <laughs> defending it. Uh, I'm sure there are some sour grapes. These are people who had careers in the past yep, and yep. no longer do. <laughs> and it gives um, them relevance, doesn't it? Yeah. So, it artificially, yeah. not artificially, self-proclaimed cadence, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, in the Dean Cain example, it's just, it's so clear what happened there. It's like, here's a guy, a celebrity, uh, mm. in quotation marks, that we know to be a conservative and happened to play a superhero 25 yeah. years ago. Let's put him on TV. The dude has yeah, obviously yeah. never read the comic book, does not yeah, yeah, yeah. read comics. So it's kind of like just red meat for that particular audience and has of yeah. course nothing to do with comics it has to do with you know a wedge in the broader american culture absolutely form. and you i know. think that's the key thing because it goes in the intent of the words that said some people wear sjw woke as a badge of honor they almost wear it like armor and they're proud that's a part of their character but if someone yeah. says usjw this is too woke they go no it's not no i'm not because it's about the context. Like, the best thing that anybody in opposition to what Dean Cain said, or even Stephen Dorff and what Coppola and what Scorsese said, is, yeah, it is woke, because that's what we want. That's who we are. This just yeah. isn't for you. We, we, we intended it for that purpose. And there are hundreds of comics out there. The biggest, the biggest exemplar of this is, and it's one of my pet peeves, I know it goes completely against like any sort of community thing, but I hate when people call comics books. And it, no, but I think that part of that is because any subculture has its own language and that gives yes. it like an exclusivity and, and it meshes everybody together, the sort of inward and the in-joke. And I think that's a part of it, establishing a language that we all use. But they're not books, they're comic books. They're not literature. They're, they are comic books. And I think by, us, by somebody saying comics aren't literature, this isn't cinema, our instant reaction is, yes, it is, because they're using it as a negative. Whereas it's not cinema, because if, whatever that definition of what Scorsese put behind cinema, he's got a mental image which isn't comic book films. So we can't tell him, maybe he used the wrong word, but whatever he meant by cinema, it's not. But we don't want that. We want that and comic book movies, the books thing or literature. Well, if we're saying it's literature, then not all comics are literature. So which is, which is the point whereby comics do turn into literature? Or what is the point where a comic book turns into a book? And I feel like we're making excuses for something that we love by branding it by somebody else's definition, by, by what they say it isn't to try and live up to their expectations. I'm happy to call them comics and I will call them books every so often because it's just, it's like I said, it's in, it's in the community. And it's not a criticism for people that don't like that. Like, this is just how I feel that I'd rather own it and I'd rather say, I, these are just comics. And some of them are fucking sick and some of them are absolute toilet water. And I'm not yeah. gonna say which point it turns into literature or what, what point it turns into books. But what I do know is this is a comic and it's fucking sick. This is a, a comic book movie and it's fucking sick. Like, yeah, let's yeah. have it as what it is. Let's just appreciate it as being the best at what it is, as opposed to trying to fit the, the, the square into the circle for somebody else. Yeah. Uh, oh, man, so much to discuss there. So, um... <laughs> sorry, I went on. Let me just respond by starting with a common kind of refrain on, on comics Twitter. You'll see it all the time. Is someone mm. will highlight somebody saying some, something to the effect of, you know, comics aren't literature. And then everyone mm. will get the, their panties in a bunch about that and say, well, mm. they just don't understand or, 
you know, that's changed that public perception, which implicitly is wrong, is changing. But yep. I, I find <clears throat> there's two points to that, to that. One is just what you're saying, just like written prose. Okay. There are yeah. degrees of variation. So not <laughs> yeah. all written, not all fiction is literary fiction. Some of it is yeah, genre yeah. fiction, which itself can be good and has de- uh, variations within it of quality. Some written prose can be, uh, that's, that's fiction, can be complete trash. Not yeah. all works of fiction or, liter- or, mm. or, or prose is going to be war and peace, right? Like, mm. just mm. like in comics, like there's complete garbage and then there's, yeah. there's mess, right? Like there's Berlin. <laughs> yeah, 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 there's, yeah. To say that it's hard to distinguish between the great works uh, of, of comics and the garbage is the same thing as saying that it's hard to distinguish between the great works of, of literature and mm. fiction and the garbage. It's like within each, they're both media, right? They're forms yeah. of art. And within that, you have great, great variation. So yeah. when people yeah. say, when people get all bent out of shape on on comics Twitter about, well, you know, comics aren't literature. It's like, well, yeah. I mean, some, some are not, but I yeah, get yeah. what you're saying. Like you're, you're wanting to defend <laughs> the medium, but yeah, there's yeah, great yeah. variation in it, yeah. What we're defending isn't what they have in their mind. What they have yeah. in their mind, they've just verbalized it with a word that fits it. And what they have in their mind, it definitely is not that because they think they're too big. But I guarantee you, Tim, whenever Shakespeare was trolling the streets of Coventry or Stafford or wherever, wherever it was, and he had his new play on it, The Globe, I bet yeah. the people at the time were going, what is this shit? This sequel is no good, mate. This ain't no, this ain't no Richard III. Like, this Henry VIII is shit. But we look back at it now as just being this glory works. There is no way anybody was that consistent. Like, everybody doesn't love every Harry Potter book, do they? Like, Susceptible to fad in fashion like at the time. Pride Prejudice, that is now considered, I would say, by most, like, scholars or observers of, of literature. It's like a top 10 it. novel of all time, but it's actually... It, at the time, it was considered a romantic comedy, which is now looked yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen the one with the pan-faced beauty, Knightley? Kira Knightley. Oh, Kira Knightley. Yeah, have you seen the, the one that, that she did? Yeah, about? Yeah, Fucking yeah. love that version. That's so good. So good. And I didn't yeah. believe I'd like it. One of those girlfriend films. So I sat down at the end of it going, no. I absolutely fucking love that, mate. <laughs> the archetype for all forms of, of romantic comedy you ignore efron movies you couldn't have yeah. like rob reiner movies any of the great romantic comedies uh, without yeah. woody allen you know to the people still watch those um without without uh, pride and prejudice for the sake of argument to the extent that literary fiction has is more successful than say mm. literary comics or mm. at least is more successfully ambitious than those it's because no. it has 300 years on it in 300 years to the extent that people are still like pissed about comics not getting their fair due. I mean, the yeah, picture yeah. will change dramatically. The narration isn't gonna be written by the people that are in the bowels and the guts of the movement. It's gonna be by the populist reporters that are reporting to it from a step away. Even the way that we talk about it and what we're talking about is influential. It's gonna be somebody that's almost a historic document on it. I'm very sensitive to what you descri- describe as like the context of where of what what terms people are meaning mm. to use and what terms mm. like the members of our community is interpreting. Let's just give Stephen Dorff the benefit of the doubt. Let's assume what he's talking about is there are no comics that are analogous to the greatness of a Pride and Prejudice. Now, that's yeah, yeah, wrong, yeah, yeah. but I can't expect him to know about Berlin or Watchmen or Mouse or any of these like true, really, yeah. really ambitious comics. Yeah, and yeah. I think that when people in our community get pissed about that, sometimes when I want to ask them like, well, how many of you have read one of these like yes, true great yes. works? Like, 
Yes. Have you been through Watchmen? Like, have you actually read all the volumes of Mouse? Have you read yeah. The Complete Berlin? Probably, I mean, I'm sure many people have, but it's, it's a, yeah. a much smaller percentage than are reading Amazing yeah. Spider-Man every month. Comparatively, few people are reading, you know, Wolf Hall. I mean, it's just, that's yeah, yeah. the way it is. Do you know what? Do you know what is the reason why? Is because there's not a, a YouTube video shorthand by a plucky nerd that's doing it. Kind of like nobody knew who Agatha Harkness was, but within one week and two episodes of One Division, definitely Agatha Harkness. And the problem with that is as well is because they're repeating somebody else's ideas. They don't know what the logic path to arrive at that point was. So they're defending the front cover of an idea that someone's put, or there's been a researcher that's been putting all the all the hours in to go through the comments, to go in through like other people's reviews of the series. So when people can't defend the idea that they protested for 100%, then they just become obnoxious because that's the only way to get out of it. One of the things that came came out of that little discussion was uh, the attack of Scarlett Johansson. Now there's obviously been a couple of big things that, that have happened with her recently. And the second one, the second most um, prominent, probably the Black Widow film. A lot better than I thought it was going to be. I loved it. I loved that movie. Uh, so good. It's so good. She's so good. Those two, well, all the family members have such incredible chemistry together, just as yes. performers. Yes. It was way funnier than I thought it was going to be. Even though the villains, it's, it's, we're not talking about an intergalactic, you know, villain. Yeah. But the villain is big, really, really meaningful in these people's lives. And I thought it was like the perfect touch. A lot of times, like these, these, like the sort of standalone movies, the villain can be kind of not as outstanding. And I'm not necessarily even targeting Marvel there, but even like some of the, some of the DC movies. Um, but I love yeah. the Red Room stuff, the camaraderie. I love the theme of like family, you know, that she's going through. That's her yeah. entire character arc is about, you know, to what extent am I just sort of like a lone black widow? And to, to what extent am I something, part of something bigger, whether it's, it's the Avengers or, or this family. Yeah. And I loved it. I love the set pieces, three credit scene, um, title card scene where yeah. they're racing away from their, you know, suburban environment is so tense. I mean, you know, they get away obviously, but yeah, I was yeah. like, my heart rate was way up on that. I thought it was like yeah, beautifully yeah. shot, really, really cool. Um, I love, I love the movie, like the Avengers movies, for instance, I feel this way. And I know a lot of people do is that some of the best parts of those movies are the smaller moments yeah, when all the, so. the team members are hanging out, like the part, you know, where, um, where Cap tries to lift Mjolnir and, you know, there's an argument of whether he could, actually could have done it and decides to, yeah. like, not to hurt Thor's feelings. But that whole scene, right before Ultron pops out... It's fantastic. It's some so beautiful. And yeah. they had a lot of that in this movie. And I think that was the first time that we saw them not being superheroes as well. That whole party sequence. Yeah. It was subtle. You can be disappointed when a hero loses, but you feel that loss if you know the person. Picking up on a couple of things that you said, that I think with the villain... Um, absolutely agree. I, and I think that what this did was gave you a more sophisticated villain. I mean, almost like Wonder Woman did before it made the stupid decision to have, was it actually Ares at the very end of it with someone that black smoke and fire and now we need to punch him into submission. But yeah. with this, it was an organization. And it's kind of like with Ultron that can you burn him out the internet? Can you burn out the Red Room and all its influences? And will it come mm -hmm. back? It's sort of similar to Hydra. Another thing about the villain it's like yeah it's an institution but it's also a a, a, a leader of that institution a drake does a drake off right it's drake off yeah. um, and what i liked about it is often one of the things that you you could critique fleshing out motivations of villains instead of just saying this is a bad guy we have to, to yeah, yeah, a bad yeah. guy, and he's like amorphously bad 
here mm. you you get a real 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 texture about what in fact this person has done and what effect it's had on people you care about so you care yeah. about both you know you, you care about natasha you care about yelling and you and you see how it's affected them and so it gives much more texture to the villain and i think it in that respect it's been a, it's been a tremendous i thought it was a great <laughs> villain and i think there's a great juxtaposition between Drakoff and actually the um the widows because they're sort of mentally programmed to be this unrelenting force where in actual fact in his own way he is this unrelenting force that probably has a if there was an origin story with him he's probably been inflicted under similar measures to bring him into it and it's quite funny how we can sympathize with one because it's the focus of it whereas the other one we're just seeing the evil act whereas if you could imagine the film was just the the black widows going around committing atrocities by the end of it you would have wanted them to lose yeah totally totally and with the thing with the set pieces, I think what this did particularly well, it's a thing that the DCU has picked up on a lot sooner. I think with Marvel, you have a set piece that's very static. There is a specific place where it occurs. Whereas what the DCU does, you have more of a scrolling set piece. There's a lot more movement where it, it can go through almost different destinations or, it's, or, it's, mm-hmm. or the camera is moving on a through shot like we had with Aquaman. The um, No Man's Land shot with Wonder Woman, the end battle in even Man of Steel. It was all about movement and tracking. And you get a lot better impacts of the speed and the power that's going through it. Whereas Marvel, it's very much in a static location with two big hitters. But I think what Black Widow utilized is that same sort of movement, the through flow and the energy of the scene and not just the characters. I don't know if it was intentional, but it's definitely <laughs> something that I think that they should use more going forward. That's interesting. I'd never really thought about that. So it's sort of like the in the past, the Marvel set pieces have been like true set pieces, like they're almost staged plays yeah, in a sense. Exactly. Of like yeah, the, yeah. The yeah. contact is static. It does not change. You can't because you know in a play, obviously, you have a stage. Um, that, mm. That's all you have. Whereas the DC ones are much more cinematic in that respect. Yeah, yeah I like yeah. that. I never thought about that. That's interesting. I I, I, I agree with that. I actually think it was a strength of um, Josh Whedon. Um, in his first two Avengers films. If you think about the opening to Age of Ultron, there's a mm. great progression going through that shot. When you compare yeah. that, when you know they do that freeze frame when they're all doing their action poses, when you compare it to the airport scene where you've basically just got five people running side by side towards each other. And the difference, I think Wedding is the only person that's really consciously thought about that. But I mean, for all his faults, and I'm not making excuses for what he may or may not have done because... Who knows, smoke and fire and whatnot, but people make their own minds up about that. Yeah. But he was so articulate in the set pieces. The other thing to think about about the movie is how Marvel chose to release the movie. So just where in the MCU it released it, I thought it was, a, it was, a, it was very well done to yeah. release her standalone movie after, she, after the events of Endgame. Because yeah. I think it gives it, you know, I, I'd read some review that people said, well, if you know what happens there, it reduces the emotional punch. I disagree entirely. I think it raises yeah. the stakes, you know, yeah. to see exactly what she was facing and the choice that she made in the in, yeah. um, end game is all the more poignant to me. Titanic was the second biggest film of all time and everybody knows how that yeah. ends. It's hard because we don't have the version of events when it was released before Endgame. But I think that you're, you're accurate in, in the placing of it, that it didn't detract from the film at all for me. Are you still confused by the end scene? She's standing in a field and Ross is coming, and then she, she just goes. 
I didn't quite understand. Like, there's there's a big oh, yeah, yeah. scoop of the film missing for me. Yeah, like, like yeah. how that yeah, happens, like, yeah. Yeah, what, what was that conversation? Or Because he was pretty determined, wasn't he? I mean, he was like a dog with two dicks to try and fucking get <laughs> And then all of a sudden, he just like... And with in mind, he's in um, Civil War. He's done a whole like video essay. He's had someone produce all the things in DC, in um, oh Sokovia. Uh, and in oh, was it in Nigeria? Like they've had all these yeah. all these things, and he's a very heavily produced video as well. My I add these aren't just <laughs> this isn't found footage. Like he's got some he's paid a lot of money to put these clips together. I mean they're quite cinematically Seriously. shot. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and he's yeah, taking the time. Yeah, I don't know. And and yet and yet another another helicopter has just fallen from the sky. But he's just going to allow that one. Yeah, don't worry, mate. DC, what's another one? At least this was in the middle of a field. And then the right. next, the next scene is her just basically, just gone. Like she's just got. Gone. She's picking up her. Um, I was going to say X-wing, but what's it called? The the yeah, jet, the, the, the queen jet. I don't know what it's yeah. called. Do you know as well? There was there was a delete. Do you know when? Um, uh, I was going to say image and poots, but I always get them too mixed up. What? Who is Yelena? Florence Pugh. Oh, uh, it's Frances Pugh. Yeah, she was fantastic. And She's such a good actor. When she whistled right at the end, like yeah. there was, there was. I thought, please don't have a comeback. Please don't have a comeback because it just would have spoiled it for me. And I think that mm. feeds into what you were saying before, like that that scene with her whistling and um, Black Widow not being there. It was a lot more yeah. impacting than any reveal because they actually shot one, didn't they? Where where Black Widow comes out from behind a tree and like sets it up. Well, maybe that got cut because she was a suing bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, sorry, mate. Sorry, you, you asked me a direct question, but I, I derailed. I loved the opening scene where Natasha was so protective of Yelena. And then when they meet back up again, one of them's like completely phlegmatic about it, but one of them is quite still emotionally attached. And I loved just seeing that just like the tendrils coming together by the end of the film and that. There was one scene in particular when they're talking about the vest in the car and she goes, so yeah, good. I like your vest. She goes, I know, right? It's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> you can... Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the, those are the types of moments that I was talking about earlier. It's like these small yeah, yeah. moments where they're able to be people as opposed to heroes, mm. you know? And they're yeah. just having a little, they're having a laugh, basically. It's, it's I... awesome. And I think that's where having all these indie directors comes into it. We mentioned this in one of the previous podcasts. The Captain Marvel directors were like, oh, we only got about 40 minutes or 45 minutes to, to write and direct in between set pieces. And then James Gunn, I think, unbeknown to him, retorted by saying, yeah, I, great, I've got 45 minutes. If I can't tell a story in that amount of time, then I'm not doing my job properly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scarlett Johansson, what on earth have you done? I, so I, I see two issues here. One is whether it just made a reputational mistake in doing this. Mm. The other one is just the legal argument. I definitely mm. don't want to get into any legal technicalities. That would be very boring. Um, <clears throat> but this no, please uh, one thing I will say about that is, strictly speaking, this is not a breach of contract case. This is a mm. case called tortious interference with a contractual, ob uh, contractual obligation. And so what that yeah. means is that she's not saying to marvel hey you breached my contract by failing to do an, an exclusive th theatrical release she's saying to right. disney hey you it, you 
intent intentionally interfere with Marvel's um, uh, ability to uh, to uh, abide by the terms of the contract. And so it's a tort rather than a breach of contract. And the reason why that probably matters is there's probably something. Well, there's two possible reasons. One is either that's exact. Those are the facts. Like that's actually what did happen. Yeah. And it would make it would be a mistake to just to just <laughs> allege a breach of contract when there's this other fault, right? The second yep. reason, though, is probably uh, there's probably a provision in her agreement that says that any breach of contract claims have to be arbitrated as opposed to being filed in court. And so if she files a straight breach of contract uh, action, what would happen is she just get kicked to arbitration and she wouldn't be able to do it in open court. The reason yep. you want to do it open court is because you get discovery and you can open up like the financials and do all get all this information in the public record. Yeah. which is i think just a leverage point to get them to settle so that's i think yeah. probably the underlying legal um and also if it's a... now of course i'm not privy to any of their what they know i'm just looking at it just mm. observing it from a vantage point of like having some idea of how lawsuits work this is never but, going um, to court is it because no one wants that precedent set exactly she's In trying to no way shape or form yeah exactly and i don't know what they're going to do whether they'll do it or not it sounds like I had read something about Disney had had at least hinted at developing some kind of alternative model for compensation yeah. um, in these sort of dual release uh, programs. So, you know, theatrical versus um, yeah. street. So, the, so, all right, whatever, that's the legal issue and that'll just get resolved. Either I'll be right or wrong. We'll know what happens, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it does. It's an interesting issue about um, like what this does to her reputation or maybe even her relationship with, with studios going forward right and my own view is i generally without having perfect knowledge i generally am labor over management so i'm not immediately thinking i'd want to critique her for finding the lawsuit it may or may not be wise for her reputation or her career but mm. generally speaking i coming from like a union family i den i generally am like labor over management but beyond that i it does seem like it's kind of split. I mean, I, I haven't taken a poll, obviously, but I've just mm. sort of been trying to observe, you know, on Twitter or other like snapshot public opinion yeah. sections about whether, you know, people are with her or against her. And I don't know, it seems kind of split. I think it's probably like people who are generally, she's making too, she makes enough money already. What the, like, what is the issue here? What's the problem? Probably are not going to be with her. People who are maybe more like me are going to presumptively be for her. I don't know. My issue isn't the money that she's, she's got already. My issue is people need to separate the time, the, the, the specific issue to this time. If Disney had put this out and it didn't perform the first two weekends and switched it to Premier Access, then that's like a bit of a bait and switch whereby they, they're they just being greedy and keeping most of the money. They, they've found a loophole whereby they don't have to pay. I think what the difference is, I did some quick numbers. Like It took 360 odd million. You take away a third of that for the cinemas. I think the film costs, say, 130, 130 for marketing, that's 260. So when I did the full numbers, it came out that they lost about 190 million on it. So my issue is it wasn't to increase the profitability of Disney or the film, it was to retroactively save them for higher losses. Now, I think that when Scarlett Johansson's saying, Where's my cut of that money? what you're asking for is a share of the losses. So if she's saying I want five percent of the of that, 
well, if we're doing a profit share, then fair enough. You'll, you can help pay us back for the 190 million that we've lost on this. The biggest irony of it is the biggest cost outside of marketing in the, in the production budget is the actors themselves. So really, the money that they've lost could be partially, entirely attributed to the cost of paying her the first time. So mm. what she's actually asking them for is the money that they've lost that would have actually have gone to pay her, she wants again. And I'm getting sick and tired, especially in the fucking Olympics. Everyone said, oh, I love the Olympics, by the way, so much. You but really the do Olympics, I fucking love the Olympics. Like it's a woman, a big, titty, sexy lady. That's how much I like it, baby. A big, titty, sexy, sexy Asian skateboarder. I oh, know, because everyone like teenagers, weren't they? Uh, swimmer, Australian swimmer <laughs> that swears. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> so... Yeah, but they're all saying after a difficult year, right, but people were still winning gold medals and breaking world records. And I know that like this has affected different people differently. Like I had a real tough time in the last couple of lockdowns. Like my mental health was in the gutter. Thankfully, I woke up one day, felt better. And it was actually the Olympics that turned me around because if I wanted to get up at two in the morning, then I had to go to bed at six o'clock. And getting sure. that, that routine back made me feel a lot better. And getting back to the point, you have to accept that every single person, except for fucking um, Bezos, or whatever his fucking name is, Jeff Bezos or whatever, whoever it is at Amazon, everybody has felt this. That's what's driving that decision-making. And by the way, Disney have put a bunch of stuff on their, like a lot of the Pixar stuff's gone straight to, without even premiere access. So they've done yeah, the absolute best they could in the absolute best they could with the MCU because Kevin Feige didn't want it. But there came a threshold whereby something had to give because the TV stuff was linked to the theatrical stuff. The bit where, who's a uh, US agent? Oh, Jim Walker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the lady from Seinfeld comes in and... Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. Like Madame Hydra or whoever it was. And then yeah. Yelena scene was supposed to be before that scene. So they've already delayed it and reshuffled the order so it didn't hurt it. They couldn't delay it. This is just a byproduct of one of the things that's affected everybody in the last 18 months. And I know that that doesn't excuse people from not paying them properly. It's not a coverall excuse. But I think in this very specific instance, there's a very specific series of events where you have an organization that's trying to protect themselves against even bigger losses and if you have an actress that's saying i don't get to be affected by this having already been paid say if it just didn't make any money at the box office yeah what what then she wouldn't have got any money anyway yeah and the difference the difference with the the home the home the premier access is they did 60 million in the first couple of weeks that is 100 percent disney money mm -hmm. cinemas the cinemas the cinemas keep 30% your marketing budget's the same as your it's your production budget. So you need to make three times production before you even make a dollar. And it's even worse with the, with the Chinese market because they keep 70% and only 30% comes back. The drop off for the film was like to about 30%. That's, that's completely indicative of all superhero films. That's not because yeah. of the premier access. Unless you get something like Joker, which the word of mouth brings it in and there wasn't that much expectation or hype for. It's just something completely out of the ordinary. Because there's fear of missing out, it's because the spoilers. Most superheroes drop to 35 to 25% second weekend. Most films in general will do 75% of their entire box office worldwide within the first four weeks. And then it yep. peters off at like a logarithmic curve. It just tapers off. So I ask her, would she have been any better off if it just stuck in the cinemas?
All it's done is provided an extra revenue source for Disney who were being hit hard because they had to release at that moment. I actually think the whole delaying films things was a bit curious because the way that they keep delaying them, it's on the premise that they're never going to make another film. So they have these films and if they move them to next year, then then that's good because next year is covered. But all they've done is stop themselves for 18 months having any revenue. They'll still make films. The only difference is now next year's full box office it's this year's films instead of next year's films and the year after and the year after and the year after. So instead, yeah. they've just displaced it with a zero. Whereas if they've just let it flow through, they've clawed some money back now, but then they would also have the full box office for next year for the films that were supposed to be made and released. And the increase in competition, every weekend there's going to be like two inverted commas blockbusters. They may have just been better off shrugging their shoulders, just letting it run through and saying to Scarlett Johansson, okay, you don't get anything because we didn't make anything. Right, right. You'll get your exclusive box office, but we you're not actually getting anything. I'm totally sympathetic to that. I, I, I get what you're saying entirely. One thing I will um, add, let's just assume for the sake of argument that an exclusive theatrical release would have made money. Okay, let's just... So they'll have yeah, to yeah, show yeah. that. They'll have to show that. Yeah, yeah. Assuming for the sake of argument it does, um, then she's probably entitled to that. Uh, that's all I'm saying. And they'll just, they'll hash it out. Yeah, yeah. And so that's that's true then you know i'm not i don't want her to get anything more than she's entitled to but i do want her, want yeah, her to yeah, get yeah. what she's entitled to so but this will all be hashed out if it goes to court by experts yeah. and they'll have competing yeah, experts yeah. and yeah, yeah whatever but yeah I, i'm completely sympathetic to the to the more yeah market-based and sort of reputational based arguments you're talking about yeah yeah i i think i think as well before we, we tie this one off that you know those contracts were made without any foresight of what could potentially be around the corner the contracts were made in a very, very generic, you know, matter yep. of fact way that, that they probably given a hundred actors over that period. That has to be some understanding that things did change. A lot changed. And a lot of yeah. people were affected. If she's going to have deals canceled or they're just not going to work with her again. I mean, you got to think about like, is the extra like 10 million worth worth that next one up to shang chi shang chi as it's as it's now correctly pronounced if you're to believe okay. kevin feige shang chi <laughs> it's supposed to be amazing isn't it the reviews have just been cray cray yeah i'm looking forward to it i you know i don't really know much other than like the current gene Luen yang stuff which is just oh, like you a really like of- that i did i write i like the first one a lot and i've been reading the uh, the current one it's really good I don't know how much of that is like, I like the character. I didn't really know anything mm. of the character. I just really like the writer. Um, and so he did the one that um, uh, Superman kills the clan. That oh, sort of yeah, 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 yeah. From like one or two years ago. Oh, was yeah. it Hoops and something as well? There was a, bas- yep. there was a basketball one. He did, he did Hoops. Yeah, he did American Chinese, which was like real big, like 10 years yeah. ago. Um, American born Chinese. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he's doing the current comic. But other than that, I don't know anything about the character. I, I mean, know nothing. nothing. And so I'm like going into this completely blind. I'm trying to avoid trailers entirely just to, yeah. I don't want, I mean, I have seen one. I went to see Free Guy and there was a trailer for uh, for the movie that I watched before that. And it looks like dope as shit. I think it looks awesome. I hated and, the trailers. Oh, did you? I thought it looked I so cool. Hated, I hated, because you know the thing was like Snake Eyes trailer came out and Snake Eyes looked sick as fuck. Like very sort of Hong Kong martial arts, very stylized. And I looked at that and I just thought, oh God, it's just like jokes. It says snakes on a plane. It was jokes on a train. (laughs) (laughs) One thing to think, the one thing to wonder about this movie is I know, and I haven't been keeping up with like the ongoing commentary exactly, but what people are thinking about 
how to what extent this does for like rep representation in the MCU. And I do wonder about, I think it's like a step forward, but in some respects it's like, well, is it really, if we're just giving like the Asian cast, a, like a Kung Fu movie, is that really like. Yeah. And also they're, they're American. They're not Asian. They're American. They're, yeah. It's an American film with American studio with American actors. And that yeah. was one of the things, I know it's heresy to criticize Black Panther, but it was middle-class Americans probably upper-class, wealthy Americans pretending to do African accents. They're middle-class Americans. Whatever the colour of the skin is, whether they're white, American-Asian, whether they're uh, Af uh, African-American, you're still American and, and you're putting on an accent to do a film. And I get it. I get it. I get it because it's a major studio and irrespective of it's there's, there's been locked doors to American-Asians, to African-Americans, to any kind of minorities that's clear to see and this is a step forward but i don't accept it because the whole world speaks english yeah but literally yeah, sure. the whole world speaks english the argument that at least kids get to see themselves on the screen i, th I think that is something that's important not to overlook but they don't care and they yeah. then see somebody that looks like them and also when i went to the i've always said like with the whole comics gate sgw thing i said right i get everything you're all saying when I go to the cinema, when I go to my comic shop, there's maybe one girl in there. Mm -hmm. Maybe one. And maybe you're saying that's because it's we're not inclusive enough. Great. I get that. Well, let's be more inclusive. We tried that with a lot of titles, probably done in the wrong way. And they're the ones that didn't sell. But again, it's probably the inclusion thing. Is giving it six months and then cutting it off really inclusion? Or is that just giving it enough rope to hang itself? But when I went yeah. to Black Panther, I was sat in a, in a cinema with probably 80% black people. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like, it, and that was on, I think, opening night or the day afterwards. So I think it is important. Yeah, and I guess, yeah, my, my whole thing about the representation thing is like, if you're doing, if you're going to add at least an Asian American cast to do yeah. a movie um, that's really just like a martial arts movie, it's like, well, that, that kind of does reify many of the stereotypes about the only movies that these <laughs> that Asian Americans can be in are like martial yeah, arts yeah. movies. You know? Yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree. Have you seen some of the stuff that Simu Lee's been saying, like over the uh, last twelve months? I just don't like. I just don't like him. I used to watch Kim's Convenience, but the creators, um, the producers, creators said we don't want to do the show anymore. Do something else. Simu Lee lost his shit on social media. Like you know when people do screenshots because they can't fit in the, as everything they want to say. Yeah. So these people, how can they take this away from us? The journey from my character hasn't finished yet. It's disgusting that they've done this to the cast. It's disgusting that they've done this to the fans. It's like, dude, you're an, you're an employee. You don't get to say. Yeah. Like, it's right. like me going into McDonald's and, and, and throwing a hissy fit because they don't do McRib today. Or, or, <laughs> or don't or, have that or, weird or, sauce that everybody likes. Yeah, the Seychelles sauce. Rick and Morty sauce. Yeah. And... The bloke jumping up and down on the tills, screaming <laughs> Seychelles sauce at the top of his voice. Like, it's just ridiculous. Oh, again, it was Chapek. He said, Theatrical only, it's, a, it's an experiment and we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. And he was like, how dare we call our film the only Asian-American film, the only Asian film that the MCU's ever had an experiment. It's like, dude, he was talking about box office. He wasn't talking about your film. And it was just like, yeah. are you, you're just looking for a fight. And the yeah. final thing was in the interviews, he said, it's just, he said something to the effect of, oh, it's just good that uh, Western films now have Eastern faces on it. I'm like, have you heard of Jackie Chan, Jet Li, Bruce Lee? He's um, devouring his own, in, own importance. I just don't like it. And also what annoyed me was his body fat percentage is far too high 
for a kung fu. Like, because they have, oh, like, martial art... Mo- well, I don't know what it is, but, like, you like the muscles stop tell. after the top top couple of abs. And, like, there's <laughs> definitely a, li- a li- There's a little bit of muffin over, over his... Maybe not muffin, <laughs> but you, you should look like an Olympic diver. Like, it should, it should make me question my sexuality. That's how lean martial art... Act. Right. Like Bruce Lee, you, you could literally see every crevice. And people will say, well, you know... You know, unrealistic body expectations, body dysmorphia. Yeah, but his job's to look pretty, look pretty, yeah. and look like he could kick my ass. Like, I it really objects to me the same way that when um, uh, Gemma Atterton was on the film set for someone, and she was told to lose weight because she has to do action scenes, and she's like, "How dare you fat shame me?" And one of the producers, he, I was looking at the buffet. I was looking at the buffet at lunchtime, and he said to me, "Probably leave the apricots and get back on the treadmill." And I'm like. <laughs> Yeah, expectations of women in films. Dude, have you seen what Thor looks like? Have you seen have you seen like Chris Evans, Chris Pratt? And when you look at people like Kristen Ritter, when you look at Evangeline Lilly, when you look at Gal Gadot, they are all proud of the transformations that they that they do. Brie Larson as well. Like yeah. they all do the the bicep pose in the mirror totally. and and they embrace it because that's a, if you don't want to do it then don't get in an action film. And don't complain because it's the same expectations of every man and woman. Simulu, get that body fat down to 2%. <laughs> you lazy get. <laughs> well, awesome. <laughs> oh. So then, Tim, that's that's pretty much the end of end of this week. But finally, let's close it off with a little section I like to call What You've Been Reading, Mate. <laughs> <laughs> What have you, you enjoyed first? in the? Oh no no! I'll, I'll have okay. I'll let you go in the chasms of time that we've had. Idle. Oh, you should God. have some absolute corkers for us. I've let me. Yeah. So right now, one one thing I've been doing is reading, kind of toggling back and forth between American Vampire, which is the Scott oh. Snyder book, um, yeah. Albuquerque book that I've had on my shelf for ages, and just like has yeah. it's just been staring at me. Um, and I never picked it up and I finally started reading it and that between that and um, Harrow County, the Colin Bum book, uh, it was just yeah. so good. Um, so back and forth between those. And I don't, I really, really, really like both of them. I think they're great. Um, very, very entertaining reads. I do have minor quibbles with some of them. I like to me, American vampire is sort of a, just a vampire book. It's not, I mean, it's interesting. Right. To set, it's interesting to set like vampires, into historical context like World War II or Vietnam. That's kind of cool. And I have enjoyed that, but it's not, um, I, and I would recommend it. It's just not one of my all-time favorite series by any stretch, but um, People Harrow love County, it though, don't they? People, up, people, people love it. People do love it. Like there's, it only seems to be people that love it and people that haven't read it and Tim. <laughs> 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 I like it. No, no, I, 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 I like it. I think it's good. Um, cool. I like Harrow County too. My and I'm not sure how far. I'm, I'm only like two volumes into the trades. Okay. Um, and I don't want to spoil anything for anyone who hasn't read it. But I also really like that too. I like the art's really cool and the underlying story is actually quite quite cool. Have you read that one? I, it's actually really funny. After doing the poll on Twitter for uh, the end's uh, Twitter account of top five <laughs> Cullen Bun, I thought, God, I, I've had those three um, series that I've, again, I've been looking at for ages. And I, I'm a little bit bogged down with the omnibus thing. And to be honest, I've kept buying them, but the novelty's worn off because mm-hmm. you're just too nailed down. And also, if you, the one that did it for me, and this is, again, heresy, that 
it was Brubaker's cap. I got about six issues in and I was like, oh, this is hard. Like, it's very... The story's good. Like, it's well written. But it was too dreary. And I put a bookmark in it and put it away. And I'm not going to start another omnibus, but in that time, I think I've bought another 20. And then instead of having this, like, (laughs) foot-high stack of trades that need to be decimated, I've also realised that I've been buying the... Since Fresh Start, all the characters I wanted their trades but I've just lost track of anything current. And then because I've gone off the, I'm not going to start another Marvel one. And I had the same thing with New Mutants Epic Collection, but I've been forcing myself to read three issues at the beginning of each session of that to just get that one done so I can take the bookmark out of it. I've been also, (laughs) I've got Invincible, which has been great. Like I love the the compendium, but boy, you can read and read and read and that bookmark still looks like it's not halfway through. But again, but then... I sort of I looked at my stack and I was like, do you know what? I've been looking at that thinking I want to read some more Cullen Bunn because I love him, but I'm just bogged down with maintaining the things that I've bought out of procedure. So the short answer is, yesterday, after the poll, I was like, I'm going to pull out... Um, before <laughs> I'm going to pull out Harrow County, Volume 1, Dark Ark, Volume 1, and Bone Parish, uh, Volume 1. I read oh, Bone yeah. Parish yesterday. Fantastic. I read... I've started Dark Ark and Harrow County I'm going to read tonight as well. So the short answer is I have, but just not yet. uh, So, okay, good. So I'm really enjoying that one. The one thing I will say without spoiling anything, there's one sort of like plot element that, and I'm, I'm one, I am one for suspending disbelief. Like whatever universe you create, I will, I will follow the rules. Like I don't have to, you know what I mean? But there's something in there that is like just very um, suspiciously implausible to me, even within the, the, even within the, um, the universe that's set up. So I'm I'm curious, once you look into that, we could probably talk about it. But anyway, so those two I've liked a lot. The one thing I did read all the way through since the last time we recorded is Why the Last Man. Um, I read the yes. entire series. Man, that is so good. And one thing about, I've noticed about Brian K. Vaughn, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not the first one, is how little he puts on the page, but how much is communicated. You know, it's such, it's such a great interplay between his text and the artwork. He doesn't have to overdo it. You know, there's just so little text in an issue, but so much gets done. Yeah. I, I think it's so good. And I noticed that I think originally in Saga, and I wasn't sure if that was sort of unique to Saga, but that's really his approach. It's, it's very, very good. I read, that, I, love- I read that a few years ago, and it took a long while for me to buy into it. And without giving it away to it, because the TV series is coming up soon and, and people yeah. might want to read it. So I don't want to go into too, any details that are going to spoil it. I know it's a classic, but people deserve the right to discover it for themselves. Yeah. That thing that happens towards the end and you're like, no, I know. no, no. What? And it's one of those when I'm flicking back through the pages, like, have I read this wrong? Have I read this wrong? Have I read it yeah. wrong? Like, what? No. Because just, just like that. It just happened. Yeah, yeah. I remember thinking exactly. And then I remember thinking, like, Fuck. did I miss like foreshadowing here? This is like so surprising to me. Yeah. Um and, and it was do, elegantly actually, done. Do, yeah, it, it's so well done. Elegantly. Yeah. The other one was in A versus X when uh, Professor X gets killed. Cyclops, obviously under the Phoenix Force, just blasts him with his optic thing, full fucking barrel, full bore. And I opened the next one and they're all in mourning. And I'm like, what? What? Yeah. Have I missed an issue? Flicking back pages, going, now fuck it, this is my mistake. They, they wonder, why would they do that? Why would they do this? <laughs> yeah, he's really, really gifted. And it does, like, when you read something like that, it does make you understand, like, how comic, uh, the comic community has sort of shifted its focus from 
it used to be like very, very artist heavy, you know, like in the nineties yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of the writers were in some sense besides the point to now it's like the auteur writer is really the yes. driving yes. force. And you can see that in stuff like this. So I don't know. That, Have you read to I, the end of Saga yet? Are you up to up to current on Saga? I'm not, I'm current, yeah. I'm yeah, I mean that's very similar, right? Yes. Without totally. giving anything away. <laughs> I'm yeah, sorry. Like, I miss having a little project when I've got like six or seven trades. Like, because these fucking omnibuses, they just feel like work. But when you've got a project yeah. of individual ones that you can like check off one by one, and Invincible's the closest I've got to that. And I just love being submersed into a world that I know there's a final point, but I know that I've got a journey to go through as well. Yeah. And it's it just feels good because you're in there in, in you're in there in the weeds with the characters. I know we've talked about Jeff Lemire ad nauseum, but he's another one whereby the end is coming. But mm-hmm. it's the journey and all the turns of fate. I can't remember who the author of a film was that said this, but he says you can use bad luck as a plot device, but you can never use good luck as a plot device. Yeah, totally. And I think that when you look at people like Brian K. Vaughan and Jeff Lemire, they know how frequently and how severe to use that. There's nothing more emotive than someone almost being where they need to be. Yes. Almost. It's just so tantalizingly despairing. Oh, it's, it is just, it is a gut-wrenching conclusion mm-hmm. to that series. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so those are, the, those are the three I want to highlight, just the stuff I'm reading currently, um, and, and something I really liked in between, you know, since we last recorded. And then one yeah. other thing, I just a quick highlight is a movie. I went to see Free Guy, the Ryan Reynolds film. Yeah, and yeah. I'm, I'm not going to say anything about it other than that movie, absolutely, it's, it, it is so good. It's so really? funny. Uh, I loved it. And, uh I would recommend it to everyone. I thought, now, I, I like him. I love the Deadpool movies. I've always liked him. Yeah, Even yeah, back yeah. when he was on Two Guys, A Girl in a Pizza pizza Place or something, this was like ages ago, like 20 <laughs> yeah, years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before he was anybody. I remember watching that thinking, this guy's pretty funny. And so I've kind of always followed him. So maybe I'm just like a Ryan Reynolds person, but this movie's so inventive, so funny. And Have you um, seen Voices? The Voices? It, like, no fucking incredible he plays someone um who's like uh i don't know if it's schizophrenic or, or or whatever they are but like they live in a world that's not real and he does things that are only revealed in very flashes of what the actual world is but in him he's going through life it's not a comedy and he makes friends with people but in his mind like the relationships are different and then it sort mm. of flashes and some of the things that you see in his apartment like it's just it just flashes and then comes back. It's the same way that a promising young woman, you know how it's that candy floss, high saturation. The whole yep. thing's like that. The cinematography is great, but that then the juxtaposition between when you see what's actually happening, it's, it's dark and it's despairing and it's murky, but at the same time, it's hugely gratifying and actually really sad because I think to show mental health in that detail, in the same way, is it the father that um, was nominated for a bunch of Oscars about yeah. how it showed Alzheimer's and the way that it was different actresses playing the same role in the same way, like the, the inventiveness in the, in the way it showed his deterioration. It's fantastic. But anyway. Uh, that... I've actually never seen like a real serious, I've never, I don't think I've seen a serious role of his. Yeah, it's um, fantastic. I'll, I'll WhatsApp you a link to it. I'll send it to you in the message. Yeah, do that. Like, it's really, I, love, really I love that. Um, yeah. But one thing about Free Guy, I'll just say is like, it, it is broadly about gaming, gaming culture, yeah. which I cannot give two shits about. Like I have no <laughs> about that whatsoever. But the movie captivated me just because it's so mm. fun. 
Um, and it's really, really funny. So I would recommend yeah. it. So this like is mine. Ford versus for, like Ford versus Ferrari, I don't care about motor racing, but the way it was shot, I was physically excited sitting in the cinema yeah. watching it. It was so totally. good. About something yeah. I couldn't care about. So completely relate. I'll just whip through mine quickly um with invincible i thought i want to dip back into robert kirkman a little bit love the walking dead um, but i started with oblivion song when it came out and i thought oh uh, i loved outcast as well um been reading that um bit by bit but when oblivion song came out i thought oh a sort of downtrodden male protagonist who's lost a lot but is then put into unfamiliar circumstances the call to adventure happens and then he has to take control of himself his life to show other people he's flawed but he's in charge and he's the best guy we've damn well got sort of thing yeah, yeah but yeah. but yeah walking dead with, with zombies outcast with with um possession oblivion song with with monsters so it's a little bit i found it tropey but i've gone back to it and boy it's so good it's so good and i just think robert kirkman is when i look at i compare him to someone like donny cates right jason aaron they did a lot of good work to start with. Jason Aaron's still pretty consistent, don't get me wrong. But he's not hes not like Cullen Bunn. He's not like Jeff Lemire, who can release 5, 10, 15 new titles, polish off existing runs, and the quality never drops. I feel like with Donny Cates, like the peak Cates was a few years ago for me, and I'll keep on buying his stuff for completeness sake. Pfft, I don't know. I just don't feel like this guy's got it anymore. I don't know mm, if he's spread too thin or, or maybe he's too content or, or whatever it is. Like a lot of people need adversity to come up with ideas sometimes. Like they need to get in their headspace. I don't know. A lot of people still love Donny Cates. That's absolutely fine. And I felt with Kirkman that he gets portrayed as a bit of a hack. People criticize him. But look, Walking Dead went on for almost 200 issues. Invincible was what, 120, 130? And that was from day dot. And he's managed yeah, yeah. to sustain... And then when I look at Outcast, I love the series, so I picked up the comics. And it's so elegant and eerie and atmospheric. Kirkman manages to portray tone as well as anybody, like I was saying with Outcast, feels there's a sinister tie that runs through every single page and every single cell in every comic. And then with Oblivion Song, once it was past the, the world building, then it's almost like the perfect trilogy. The, the first film in a trilogy sets expectations, the second one subverts one, and the third one triumph. That's mm -hmm. kind of how I felt that Oblivion song was. He set up expectations, and then after a couple of years, I picked up the second one, and I was like, oh, okay, that's 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 why you now I understand. Yeah, no, uh, I agree. How far are you into uh, Invincible? I got the companions, I might, try, I might pick them up. I'm looking for something new. I think it's probably two inches thick, and I'm about an inch and a half through it. Cool. So cool. I'm, happy, I'm happy to leave it there, pal, if you are. Sounds good, that was fun. Yeah, I liked it. It was good being back. I was yep. a little bit nervous beforehand, but it's just like a comfy pair of slippers. Yeah, once you start, once you get 10 minutes into it, it's like just having a chat. Well, that's how I like it. Okay, <laughs> well, <laughs> that only leaves me with one thing to say. We have been, and this is, the end. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Go, go, go. Yeah, that was cool, man.